Welcome to the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast, a free resource for gymnast parents and coaches to learn to fuel the gymnast for optimal performance and longevity in the sport. I'm your host, Christina Anderson, and I'm a pediatric and adolescent registered dietitian, sports nutritionist, a former gymnast, a current nationally rated gymnastics judge, and a wife plus dog mom. I help gymnasts and their parents learn to fuel without the stress or overwhelm so that they can reach their big goals and dreams both in and out of the sport. We want to help parents take a proactive approach to nutrition, and to do so, this podcast is all about hashtag real talk, where we tackle tough subjects about nutrition, body image, and more in the sport of gymnastics. All right, let's dive in. You're listening to episode 16 of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another week on the podcast. Today is part one of a two-part episode all about the top 10 gymnastics nutrition myths. So yes, you can imagine that I have a lot of thoughts here and a lot of commentary. So instead of having a super long episode, we're going to break it up into two parts, but I think you're going to find it really helpful and insightful because a lot of these myths are things that we've heard in the gym. We hear them in sport culture. We hear them in our larger culture, whether that's, you know, health class or nutrition class or food magazines or, you know, the news media. And it's no wonder that so many gymnast parents and coaches are confused when it comes to fueling the gymnast and which foods are good and which foods are bad and what you should eat when you should eat, because there's just so much what I call nutrition noise out there. Um, and I hate to break it to you, but I feel like a lot of the information that gymnasts are given, um, is generally false in terms of nutrition, um, because there's something that's really important about nutrition and that's context, right? Like you have to make sure that we're looking at nutrition and nutrition recommendations and nutrition research in the context of fueling the high level gymnast. So I've rounded up the top 10 myths that we're going to address today here on the podcast. And you'll notice that many of these are, are pervasive, right? Like you heard them as a gymnast, your coaches heard them as gymnasts or as coaches from their coaches. Um, and that can be really dangerous when it comes to fueling the high level gymnast, because parents and coaches are really the two most important authority figures in a gymnast's life. And so when they're given a particular piece of nutrition information, more than likely they're going to accept that as gospel, even though um, it may not be true at all. And it may not just be something that's not helpful, but it also could be harmful. And I want to note, we could probably spend an entire episode on each one of these myths just due to the vast degree of nuance and scientific explanation that is required. Um, But I wanted to make this, you know, somewhat digestible for you all, especially as you're listening on the go and commuting to and from gym. So just know that if you want to learn more about any of these particular topics, um, let me know and I'd be happy to do an entire episode on said topic. So let's dive in. I think the number one most pervasive myth in gymnastics culture is that carbohydrates as a food group are quote fattening. And here's the deal. Say it with me. Carbohydrates fuel the gymnast. (laughs) They are not fattening. They are not inflammatory. Um, Gymnastics is a high intensity anaerobic sport. So in plain English, that means that gymnastics training is predominantly fueled by carbohydrate because the higher intensity um, an exercise is, the more the body relies on carbohydrates. So a significant portion of a gymnast diet of their daily meals and snacks really should be carbohydrate. And what 
are carbohydrates, um, any sort of food in the, in the grain category, starches, um, fruits and vegetables. Yes, they are carbohydrates. I often refer to them as color because, you know, some of them, especially the fruits have a fair amount of carbohydrates in them compared to things like grains and starches. But then if we're looking at salad grains, you know, those don't have a whole lot of energy to them. And when we're, you know, telling gymnasts about carbohydrate and we're looking at carbohydrate availability, we're really focusing on things like the grains and starches, beans, um, certain sugars, etc. And unfortunately, um, there's just been misinformation for probably decades in the sport of gymnastics on the topic of carbohydrates. And all the time I'll hear coaches tell gymnasts that they're not allowed to have, you know, bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, sugar, that all of those will just stick to their body as fat. They won't be as lean. And here's the deal. Like that's not true. Like from like the second law of thermodynamics perspective, you know, carbohydrates are no more fattening or even fat burning compared to any other food, right? Like at the end of the day, it is about energy balance. And at the same time, it's a lot more nuanced than that, which we may have a whole separate episode on that topic by itself. Um, but to say that carbohydrates are fattening is just not true. And, and actually what is fattening? Like if we're going to like use that word in terms of like increasing body fat, what is fattening is underfueling. And if you look at the science and the literature behind red S and underfueling, one of the long-term consequences of underfueling can actually be negative body composition changes. So gymnasts can actually have an increase in body fat, a decrease in muscle mass, and a decrease in bone density if they are chronically underfueled. And so here we are telling gymnasts that the most important food group for them is something that is bad and off limits. And now not only are they going into workouts underfueled, but then they're probably also globally underfueling from a caloric perspective, which is only causing the body to adapt and slow down and, and to save and to store. So, you know, yes, carbohydrates certainly, um, vary, you know, in their quality. And we do want to focus on, um, carbohydrates that are rich in fiber and vitamins and minerals, right? Your whole grains, your starches, your fruits and veggies, your beans. Yeah. Like we do want most of those in the diet, but it doesn't mean that we also can't have some of the sugars in our diet, which are all carbohydrates. And when I work with gymnasts who are terrified of carbohydrates because they've been told their whole careers that they're bad and they're fattening, when I tell them that the body doesn't know what carbs come from what, that is something that will allay a lot of their fears. You know, when they learn that the cookie that they eat versus the piece of, you know, Ezekiel bread, which is like horribly dry and cardboard like, the body doesn't know what carbs come from what. It doesn't know if that glucose came from the crumble cookie or if it came from the quote clean Ezekiel bread. All it knows is whether or not there's glucose and whether or not there's enough available to fuel every cell in the body. And like I said before, I'm not saying that there aren't objective differences that exist between foods in terms of vitamins and minerals and nutrient density, but kind of gram for gram and looking at carbohydrate. Um, the body doesn't know what comes from what it only knows whether or not it's getting enough. And we need carbohydrate because the brain alone runs on 130 grams of carbohydrate a day. And for people out there who are low carbers or whatever, they may argue, well, that's not true. You don't need that much. The brain can function on less. It can function, you know, on ketone bodies. And yes, while it's true that it can do that, it doesn't mean that it's optimal, especially for high level performance athletes. 
And I think what coaches and parents and even medical providers are really referring to when they say that carbohydrates are bad, it's generally the sugar. And it really gets a more of a bad rap than just general carbohydrates because somehow we think that sugar by itself is more fattening than other foods, you know, protein, fat, other carbohydrates. And that's not true. Like no one food is magical and somehow stored on the body immediately as fat. And you can ask any bodybuilder, you know, bodybuilders have really evolved these days. Like if you asked them 10 years ago, what their diet was to, you know, diet down to super physiological levels of leanness before a show, they would tell you that the only way to do that was tilapia and brown rice and asparagus. Now they've learned that you can still diet down to these crazy levels of leanness, which hundred percent wouldn't recommend like being lean is not the same as performing. Um, but they do so on an all foods fit kind of diet. Like there's something out there called if it fits your macros, which again, if we're going to be honest, it's just another form of dieting. But I do think it's good to point out that they know that you can still eat all foods and do whatever you want to do. So I just use that as kind of this proof of if it was really true that carbohydrates are fattening, that sugar was fattening, then these people would not be able to reach these crazy levels of leanness that I will say are not, are not permanent. Okay. Any of them will tell you that, um, it's miserable dieting down to that level of body fat. It's not sustainable. Um, you cannot perform at that level of body fat at all, which is why, aesthetic is different than performance. And that's also why, um, as far as nutrition goes, you can't just put gymnasts on like bodybuilding diets, trying to get them lean because a, that doesn't guarantee you anything with performance, but B, they will be so underfueled that they won't actually be able to perform well. So anyways, definitely a topic for another day, but on its own sugar is a carbohydrate and it's the same as any other carbohydrate, right? Carbohydrates have four calories per gram and that's the same for sugar or anything else. So all that to say, carbohydrates are not the enemy. In fact, they actually can be your gymnast's secret weapon in terms of fueling optimal performance and focus. Um, a gymnast needs anywhere from like probably three to five to seven grams per kilo per day of carbohydrate, right? Depending um, how intense they're training. You know, obviously there's a big difference between your recreational gymnast doing gymnastics a couple hours a week versus your level 10 or elite that's training, you know, 20, 25, 30 plus hours a week. And while we talk a lot about reds and under fueling and how adequate energy availability is really important, the second layer to that is what's called adequate carbohydrate availability. And anytime that gymnasts feel tired or they feel like their legs are heavy or they just can't run as fast or not as explosive, like any gymnast who's listening to this can 100% tell you what that feels like that oftentimes is when their body is depleted of carbohydrate. And it, it puts the body in kind of this gray zone, almost like when you hear marathoners describe, you know, bonking because of inadequate carbohydrate or just improperly timed fueling strategies where you basically like hit this wall or like this gray zone where your body doesn't have enough carbs to use, but it can't break down fat or protein quickly enough. So then you're just kind of floating out in the twilight zone and you fuel all the things. And one of the big um, kind of negative performance aspects to not having enough carbohydrate is something called 
increase perceived exertion. And anytime I'm working with gymnasts, you know, I'll ask them about their schedule. We'll walk through their training schedule, like a typical day and all their events. And I'll ask them, you know, which events are easy, which events are hard. What skills are you working on? Are there certain events that by the end of practice, you struggle more with those? And I would say all of them for the most part, their eyes kind of light up and they're like, Oh yeah. Like if floor is last, good luck. I'm not making my third pass. If bars is last, good luck. I'm, I can't make my blindfold into my dismount. If vault is last, uh, like good luck. I'm going to make my Yurchenko full. Um, I'm probably going to almost land on my head trying to block off the table and all of that, you know, while some of that can be timing and technique, a lot of that is also just due to fatigue, which part of that is normal, right? We're going to have neuromuscular fatigue as a training session goes on, but we want to prevent that for as long as possible. Right. And so I, I kind of look at it like this. If a gymnast starts training at hundred percent, you know, they show up to that workout fueled and ready to go by the end of a four hour session, they may be functioning at kind of 70 or 80%, which isn't bad, right? Still able to finish assignments and do routines and still get some quality um, results from their effort. And yet if they show up to that workout under fuel to begin with, right? So they're coming in at probably a 50 or 60%, which a lot of gymnasts do by proxy of not eating before training or not eating the right things or enough of the right things. Then by the time hours three or four of practice comes along, they're at like 30%, right? And that's where you see mood and behavioral issues. You see fatigue. You see this like perceived heaviness. You see the increased perceived exertion. And that, my friends, is not going to give your gymnast very quality training. So there's a lot to be said for making sure that gymnasts are getting enough carbohydrates throughout the day and that we are strategically using them intra-workout, depending how long the workout is and intense the workout is, to level up performance and focus and help the gymnast to get the most results from their effort. And that's what I tell gymnasts all the time. I'm like, look, you all train and you all condition and you all do the same things. And yet if you will strategically use nutrition to your advantage, that will help you get more results from the same effort. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe myself as a lazy person, right? I feel like I'm, you know, pretty successful and I work very hard. I have that kind of gymnast mentality still in me and that work ethic that honestly I learned from the sport. But if there are things I can do in my life to make things easier, less painful to expedite the process, I'm going to do that. And for high level gymnasts, strategically using carbohydrate both in and around training is just that. All right. Myth number two, this one is a little bit of an older myth that I'm actually pretty shocked to hear, um, on occasion, but this is that fat in food causes body fat gain. And I swear that this myth is like more from the nineties, you know, where people were terrified of egg yolks and butter and, um, you know, everything was grilled and steamed and, um, you know, Pam spray, everything low fat, everything, which a lot of that had to do with like the heart health hypothesis, which we now know not all of that is true. And that, you know, some of the saturated fat isn't as bad as we thought. Um, but this myth should have died with the nineties because fat is actually really important for the body. It's important for hormone production. It's important for your skin. It's important. Um, just for overall health, it's also an energy source. And so again, just like with carbohydrates, there's no one food that causes weight loss or weight gain by itself. There's no one food that just magically sticks to the body. Um, 
And fat is something that gives flavor. It helps with satisfaction. It helps with the vitamin absorption. Did you know that we actually need fat in our food to help absorb certain vitamins, especially the fat soluble vitamins, vitamins A, D, E, and K. So hopefully you're not buying, you know, only egg whites and refusing to use olive oil and buying low fat, fat free salad dressings and ice creams. Like, please don't do all of that. Um, First off, I think quality of our food really matters in terms of taste and satisfaction, which help contribute to us listening to our body and honoring our hunger and fullness. And secondly, when products are made low fat, they often use a bunch of fillers or additives or sugars to try to make up for the taste, which is really important. So fat is not something that I stress about. I certainly don't go overboard with it. There is no metabolic advantage to adding butter into your coffee or slathering coconut oil on everything. Like, please don't do that. That actually may drive up, um, some of the more atherogenic cholesterol, but all that being said, there's no reason to buy all of these low fat products. And we actually have research showing that skim dairy products are actually associated with higher rates of infertility in females. So, um, for the most part, like 2% or whole milks are great. I love a good 2% or 5% um, yogurt. I think non-fat yogurts, um, the texture is not super great. They're definitely more bitter and sour. So especially if you're a gymnast that is learning to like a Greek yogurt, um, finding a full-fat yogurt could be a nice bridge, um, and they certainly can benefit from the nutrition. All right. Myth number three. This is also one that I hear all the time, not just in the gymnastics world, but I heard this back when I was a pediatric um, endocrinology dietitian. I would mostly see children who had type 1 diabetes, but on occasion I'd have to consult with an adult, which nothing against adults. I just much prefer working with children and teens. Um, But this was a myth that gymnasts should eat protein for energy during workouts. This is not true. Protein is honestly much more of a structural nutrient, right? It's used to build your muscles and your tendons and your ligaments. It's actually also involved in linear or height growth. But in terms of of looking at the cellular physiology, looking at um, the type of sport that gymnastics is, it's really carbohydrate that gives us kind of this quick, immediate source of energy. I mean, yes, protein can be broken down for energy if your body doesn't have anything else to work with, but you don't want that to happen because if it doesn't have enough fuel, if it doesn't have enough carbohydrate, the body's going to preferentially break down your muscle tissue for energy. And for most gymnasts, especially those training 20, 30 hours a week, they're working way too hard for that muscle tissue that we want to preserve it at all costs. We do not want the body tapping into that for energy. We want to make sure that it has enough energy from other foods. So protein you know, in and of itself is very satiating. Um, when you eat protein, your stomach actually produces a couple different hormones that tell the brain that you've had food. So it helps us with fullness. Um, this is part of why when I teach gymnasts to build meals and snacks, I like them to pair, you know, protein, fat, and carbs so that they have a good blend of nutrients that helps with fullness and satisfaction. Um, but again, protein by itself is not energizing. So if your gymnast is tired at practice, they should be reaching for a source of carbohydrate and not a protein. Protein. protein is what we use post-workout to support repair and recovery. And then I also like protein at all meals throughout the day to support ongoing muscle protein synthesis. Okay. Myth number four is another super common one. And this is that gymnasts shouldn't drink sports drinks. They only need water. 
And oh boy, is this topic controversial. Um, I've actually written a two-part blog series on why gymnasts may need more than water. And we can link that in the show notes. Um, But essentially, after two hours of exercise, oftentimes more than just water is needed for optimal hydration. The goal of fluid replacement is to use a fluid that closely matches the blood's electrolyte profile. And the main electrolytes in our blood and our sweat are sodium, potassium, chloride, calcium, and magnesium. So when we look at, you know, an actual sports drink, they are specifically designed to create a fluid that closely matches that of the sweat, right? We're trying to replace what we're losing in order to have kind of optimal hydration balance. And then the reason that sports drinks also have a source of carbohydrate in them, have sugar is because that also helps to facilitate, um, hydration and the absorption of your hydration. So not all gymnasts need a sports drink. That's for sure. Um, I typically only recommend them when practice is a certain number of hours, when there is a certain amount of intensity there. And when a gymnast doesn't necessarily have any other option in terms of getting carbohydrates, or it's just something that they prefer. Um, sports drinks are not something that we just drink for fun. Um, even though, that's what our kids have grown up seeing in TV commercials and social media and all these pro athletes, you know, looking cool, drinking their icy cold Gatorade or whatever. Um, but they really do have a specific purpose. So if you want to learn more, definitely go check out part one and part two of that blog series on hydration. And I think it will answer a lot of your questions. All right. Myth number five is that eating late at night causes weight gain. Um, I have actually heard, um, a sports dietitian in the gymnastics world say that, you know, if a gymnast has a late practice and if they come home at eight or nine, you know, they really don't need to eat a lot, um, because it's so late. Like they could just have like a little bit of chicken or something and go to bed. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't care what time your kids practice is. If your high level gymnast is training from four to 9 PM or five to 9 PM, she still needs a proper recovery meal at the end of the day. Now, I think you can be strategic and make sure that you're really front loading the day that they're, you know, consuming solid breakfast and lunches and snacks and pre-workout snacks so that by the time they get out of the gym at eight or nine o'clock, they're not left with like 50% of their needs they need to meet. Um, but there's nothing wrong with eating late at night. It is not magically, um, fattening, uh, which is honestly where this myth comes from. Like it's a very pervasive public health myth that if you eat late at night, you're going to gain weight, which if you think about it, you're another probably referring to sedentary adults who don't work and who probably are not very in tune with their hunger and fullness and who, after a long stressful day of work, you know, maybe they haven't eaten all day because they've been so busy and they had meetings during meals or they weren't hungry. And so all they've subsisted on all day are, you know, Diet Cokes and potato chips. So then by the time they get home, of course they're starving. And then it's going to be really hard to listen to your body when you're just that hungry. So yes, that could be associated with some weight gain over time. That is very different than high level gymnasts who are fueling appropriately throughout the day and then just happen to train from four to eight or four to nine or five to 9 PM at night and still need a post-workout meal. Um, this is something that we teach in our course, in our coaching, in our coaching programs. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do it. Like you could feed your kid dinner before practice at five, or you could feed them just a normal pre-workout snack and then bring dinner on the way home, or they can eat dinner when they get home, depending how long the commute is. Um, but it is not inherently fattening. It's not going to harm them. Some then might argue that it could, you know, just disrupt sleep or something like that. And yeah, it, it could, 
But I think unless you have evidence that it is disrupting sleep, then it's probably totally fine, right? I think again, being adults, if we eat at nine o'clock, I know for me, I might have heartburn, which I feel super old saying that, like that's only happened to me in the last year or two. Um, but I'm probably not going to have Thai food at nine o'clock at night, or I'm going to have to stay up for a couple hours. So I don't have heartburn, but I totally could have done that as a gymnast and been just fine. So that's, that's kind of the, the long and the short answer of no, it's not a problem to eat late at night. I do think what parents need to be aware of is that you just need to make sure that your gymnast is fueled adequately throughout the day. And I think that's the mistake that most gymnasts make. Like they skip breakfast. They don't eat enough at lunch. We don't have any snacks during the day. We have a small pre-workout snack and then we're starving in the middle of practice. And then we're super hangry after practice. And then we want to eat all of the fridge after practice, right? And it's that kind of erratic meal pattern that just isn't serving them. They're just not going into that workout optimally fueled. They're not fueled throughout the morning and they're missing out on valuable ongoing repair and recovery. Um, they're, they're just, it's just not optimal. So I think that would be a reason to look at your fueling strategies and make sure it's more evenly distributed throughout the day. Um, but you absolutely can eat a normal dinner after practice. So with that, we're going to continue part two of this top 10 gymnast nutrition myths next week. Um, if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes that helps our podcast get spread to more gymnasts, parents, and coaches. And this is a, a free resource for you. So we would super appreciate as a thank you, if you would leave us a rating and review, um, we've got some links in the show notes for you for more information. I linked those hydration blogs. Um, we have a quiz that if you are wondering how your gymnast fueling is stacking up, we have a free two minute quiz that you can take, or you can take with them called how's your gymnast nutrition. And this is going to ask them a series of questions about their fueling, about injuries, about energy levels, about fueling habits. And then you'll get your result after you finish the quiz, which will give you a good starting point to then jump from and figure out what is your next step. So with that, I will see you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Gymnast Nutritionist Podcast sponsored by the Balanced Gymnast Method course. Make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss out on any episodes. You can find any links that we mentioned in the show notes of the episode and also how you can work with us. If you're looking to learn to fuel your gymnast for optimal performance without the stress or overwhelm, feel free to email us. If you have any questions, you can reach us at support at christinaandersonrdn.com, share what's going on and we'll get back to you. Or you can learn more about our programs by going to our website, christinaandersonrdn.com slash work with us. Bye for now.